Welcome to The Organised Family, the podcast series brought to you by Stuck On You, the original name label company loved by families around the world. As your personal assistant to kickstart a more organised life, we'll be discussing recipes, parenting, home organisation tips and other exciting topics. Take us with you. My name is Rob Caldor and welcome to The Organised Family for our very first podcast. I'm excited to introduce Louise Keats, food and nutrition writer and cookbook author, as our first guest. Welcome, Louise. Thanks so much, Rob. Uh, Now, Louise, you come from a cooking family, and we'll touch on that a little bit later, but your original training is actually as a lawyer. Is that right? That's right. I practised law for seven years, but I think anyone who's sensible gets out of it at some (laughs) point, and I'd grown up with that food heritage. Grandma's a food writer. Mum is, my sister's a food journalist, we're all in food, and I'd actually studied at the Cordon Bleu in the middle of my law degree, so oh. it was quite, made a lot of sense for me to then turn to food. There was no reticence in getting into the family industry? Oh, it's a very difficult industry to resist. I mean, I, I once listened to a female barrister say that she felt as though her job was so good that it was like she was getting paid to eat ice cream. And I thought, that's the kind of job I want. And now I do actually get paid to eat ice cream. So I think I've done something right along the way. Now, you're also a mother of two children. That's right. How do you manage this so-called work-life balance? It's a tricky one. And I I don't think it's a a balance as much as a mad juggling act. I um. I also balance country and city living as well and trying to raise my children on a farm whilst coming to Sydney to work as well. You know, it's tricky and I'm lucky I have an amazingly supportive family. I think grandparents are critical to making that that balance a reality Um, and I have a, a husband who works flexibly so somehow we get through each week but it is like climbing out of the trenches some evenings. Now, uh, you, you've, you've written a few books, and I think one of the interesting things with your books is that you aim to have cuisine for everyone, mm. not just kids' food and not mm. just adults' food. Tell me a bit more about that philosophy. I'm really passionate about that because I think it's best for absolutely everyone. So uh, I've written a book called Something for Everyone, and it's about adapting family meals for babies. And I think it's excellent for mum and dad because we know The Australian Bureau of Statistics tells us that mums spend an average of about an hour a day preparing family meals, and that doesn't even include the grocery shopping. So um, if mum can make all that process more efficient by cooking just one meal instead of two, that's a brilliant thing. But also from the youngest age, if babies are given a pureed version of the family meal, they're getting a much broader diversity of taste experiences it's broadening their palate they're getting a much broader nutrient intake as well we know that babies who eat family meals have a lot they their meals are healthier um, their nutrient intake is much higher and I just think it's 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 a win-win situation particularly if baby can be brought to the family table and pick up oh so this is what family dinner is all about we sit down together we talk together we we also know that children for children food is better than any baby Einstein toy you can buy them diving into a bowl of noodles or squishing some avocado in their fingers developmentally it's so important but scientists are now testing this theory but we believe that there's a critical window period for flavor learning so what you experience in that first year of life actually sets you up for the rest of your life babies who are exposed to certain flavors in in that window period are much more inclined to like them later on we know that when that mum's breast milk and also mum's pregnancy 
pregnancy diet, all of that uh, feeds into the the flavor journey for a baby and babies who studies have been done where mums are being fed a lot of carrots in their pregnancy and then again whilst breastfeeding and the babies whose mums had that experience were more inclined to like carrots later on in life. So it's definitely setting the stage for a lifetime of healthy eating. And how would you say is a good way of avoiding fussy eaters? Because you know we're not all blessed with um, you know a mm. massive palate to begin with. Absolutely, and an interesting word there: avoid. It is about avoiding it because there are some concrete things you can do to really minimise the likelihood of having a fussy eater. The two main factors: the first is familiarity, so it gets back to that pregnancy diet, that breastfeeding diet, making sure it's as diverse as possible. Don't what don't worry about avoiding anything. Just have a lovely diverse diet at that time with lots of different flavors. Your baby can experience taste is it as soon as the second trimester of your pregnancy, it, your, the amniotic fluid is flavored according to what you eat. But then when you start solids, it's about exposing your child to as many safe ingredients as you can. Um, don't worry. I've seen, you know, books that talk about keeping this diary of starting a new food every few days. That's nonsense. Uh, you simply couldn't expose them to many flavors if you did that so make it nice and varied from the get-go and also tell your child what they're eating don't use baby language with them so if they're you know if they're having some risotto tell them that it's called risotto because it's about building their familiarity uh, when children hit around two years of age, they they develop what we call neophobia, which is a fear of new foods. And the more foods that they're familiar with before they hit that stage, the less likely they are to be fussy about it. That's why I say hiding foods, for hiding vegetables in their bolognese is fantastic, makes the bolognese that much healthier, but make sure you also serve a side of visible veggies at the same time. So by all means, puree broccoli through their bolognese, but show them what it is. Tell them the word for it. That that way, when they go to a friend's house, if the first time they ever see broccoli is when they're four years old, I can tell you they are not going to eat it because it will be strange and unknown. It's about breaking down those familiarity barriers. And then the second big factor, other than familiarity, is the associations they have when they're having food. So you've got to keep mealtimes fun. Don't stand over them. Don't force them to eat it. Don't say you can't leave the table until you finish your piece. That's guaranteed all those strategies that our parents used on us we now know they completely backfire my husband will not touch brussels sprouts and it's because he wasn't allowed to leave the table until he finished them he used to stuff them in his pockets i still can't get him to eat them no gastronomic method will do the trick so keep meal times fun take the pressure off make sure that your child doesn't develop negative associations with meal times don't stare at them and will them to eat their food just Put lots of varied ingredients in front of them. Let them choose how much they're going to eat. You choose the quality, they choose the quantity, and, yeah, take the pressure off them. So that's for avoiding fussy eating. What's the flip side of, of avoiding? Is it a natural eater? Well, I think some kids are just naturally more adventurous in their character. They're more gregarious. I've seen children who are just sparrow eaters. It's just how they are, and I've seen children who are just you know, just keen to try new things. But as a parent, you still, and partly it's genetic, which is very fascinating. Children experience flavor differently. Some of them uh, experience sweetness with much greater intensity than others. In fact, some some of us are super tasters. And if you Google it, you can 
find a little test. You can look at your tongue, in fact, to work out whether you are. But some children simply experience flavour far more intensely. So um, if you've got a child who's a super taster, it's actually a nuisance because they're more likely to find, you know, that radicchio very bitter or the rocket very bitter and then they're more likely to experience flavor at at bigger intensities so you're going to have to work within those genetic boundaries but there's a lot you can do as a parent to to push those boundaries so there's no such thing as a sweet tooth or do you just have to manage no there is a sweet tooth um there is a sweet tooth some children um in fact there was a fascinating i think it was an american study done on trying to determine at which threshold children could experience a certain sweetness. And for some children, it was just a fraction of a teaspoon of sugar mixed in a cup of water. They could detect that as opposed to plain water. But for other children, it wasn't until three teaspoons of sugar were stirred through. So there's enormous variation. But I always say, if you do have a fussy eater, don't despair. Don't give up on your child. Certainly don't call them the fussy eater because some children identify that with that label and then they want to stick with it because it's their special thing. But I do have five golden rules. If, if you know, the attempts to avoid fussy eating maybe have been unsuccessful, don't beat yourself up about it. Just move on. And my five golden rules, the first is persistence. Um, we now know that it takes up to a dozen tastes of a particular food for a child to accept that food. But lots of parents stop just after three or four tastes where, you know, it hasn't worked. They just give up. Don't throw in the towel. Just keep putting those foods in front of your child. It hasn't been a waste so long as he or she has seen them on the plate. It has served a purpose. So just keep it up. That's golden rule number one. Golden rule number two is be a good role model yourself. So we know that mums in particular, the amount of veggies mum eats is a really reliable predictor of the number of veggies that the child will eat. So if you don't like many veggies and you're not eating them yourself, Good bet on that your child won't either. So be a good role model. Rule number three, make sure your child's hungry. I know this sounds obvious, but it's actually one that so many parents just seem to miss the mark on. Uh, If you sit your child down at 5.30 for dinner when he's had a giant chocolate milkshake at 4.30, I guarantee you he's not going to want his steak and veggies. But... But it's about finding that sweet spot because if you go too far and your child's absolutely ravenous, they're also less inclined to eat. So make sure they're hungry but not at meltdown point, which can be tricky with a toddler. Um, Golden rule number four is don't reward food with food. If you say to your child, if you eat your broccoli, you can have some chocolate cake, I guarantee it will work. It will work in the short term only though. And in the long term, they're more likely to think of the green vegetable as a chore and they're more likely to think of the chocolate cake as an awesome superfood that's a reward, you know. So don't reward food with food. It's fine to say if you have some broccoli, you can have a sticker on your sticker chart. Maybe you have 12 tastes and then you get to go to the toy shop and pick a small little thing, whatever it is. But just don't reward food with food because you're making the target food seem even worse and the treat food seem even better. And also it's about rewarding just having a taste, not eating the whole plate. Otherwise we're creating a generation of Labradors that just are being trained to clear their plate. And the last golden rule is be strict on your shopping list rather than your child. So if you don't want your child to eat chocolate biscuits, from the shop. Just don't buy them. Keep them out of the house because if you put them in a glass jar and you put them up on the shelf and your child can see them and you say, no, you can't have them, we now know that the forbidden fruit does taste better. So you best to just keep them out of your house. It's better for you too. You'll stop eating the chocolate biscuits too. And that way 
They're not in the house. There's no food battles. No one's, you know, bothering anyone else and everyone can just get along and your child can eat whatever they want in the house because everything that's in the house is healthy. Move on to a new topic, one which is the bane of many parents' existence, kids' parties. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Both both putting your ones on mm. and going to them. How do you? How, how can you manage the ones that you put on? Yeah, look, the, I think the hard thing for many parents is they want to please the other parents by having a nice, healthy selection, but they don't want their kid to have the boringest party at school. You mm. know, they don't want all the other kids to go, oh, that was a awful party there was no fairy bread so I think it's all about balance so the party bag is a big one with my own children I have a seven-year-old and a two-year-old with their own birthday parties I just try and make sure the party bags have fun things in them that aren't necessarily food so instead of putting a lollipop in there I might put a bouncy ball in there and if there is going to be you know a jelly snake in there I try and make sure it doesn't have any artificial colors and so forth so that's that's a big one and then it's about making sure that there's lots of balance so soft drinks just simply shouldn't be served in my opinion ever I just don't think they should be manufactured by anyone ever um even fruit juices so you know just making sure that there's a good select funnily enough you know it's something like a chicken sandwich it can be the most popular thing there so it's just about getting that making sure you've got lots of foods prepared in advance it's so easy now to make healthy sausage rolls and you know I've got recipes for like banana chia pops that still look like a total treat but they're actually very nutritious um my poor children are the guinea pigs always so my son for his first birthday there was a chocolate zucchini cake and for him it was an absolute treat and totally delicious but for me I was you know smug knowing that they had wholemeal spelt flour and loads of zucchini or so it's about having those those treats that still look amazing and maybe they've got the cupcake decorations on top and maybe that's where the the fun element is but sneaking in all that goodness and that, I mean that's what my recipes are all about still having the deliciousness there because I you know I do come from a foodie family and I've got that heritage so it has to taste good my mom and grandma wouldn't forgive me if it didn't but um sneaking in that goodness is actually easier than most people think now, you often do two versions of your books, mm. uh, one one just a standard version and a Thermomix version. That's right. Tell me about Thermomixes. Well, you know, mine sits on my kitchen bench all the time and I my children hear it every Saturday morning for their pancakes and then my husband will make a green smoothie and then the sweet potato puree for the evening meal gets made in it. So ours gets used a lot. I love, you know, I was brought up in a household where we'd always stir the custard and or stir the risotto and I'd be, as the kid in the household, I'd be the one standing at the kitchen bench, kitchen stove doing that for half an hour. But uh, given how busy I am now, I just love and I don't have someone standing there stirring the risotto. My son has the attention span of a Kelpie, so I can't rely on him to do that yet. So I, personally, I just love that there is an appliance that can do that and get get it right every time. Um but, of course, not all my readers have a Thermomix and so I always like to do the conventional version as well so that my recipes are accessible across the board. I think if you do have a Thermomix, it's fantastic. You can mill all your own flours and nut mills and, you know, it, there is so much you can do in it. But, of course, it's not within everyone's budget and so there's the recipes for those who don't. But, yeah, there is a lot. I find that I can often streamline my recipes when it's the Thermomix version. Now, your your grandmother, Margaret Fulton, a lot of us grew up on. Have you tried her recipes? Have they 
are they retro cool? Oh, I think there's a lot of retro cool going on there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I've got every single one of her books and um, when I'm in Sydney, I'm, I, I, I see her every week, so that's lovely and we share a meal together. Um, and so uh, I, I, I grew up with her recipes and I grew up with her cooking, so a lot of her recipes are in my own cooking just by virtue of that being the way I know and and some of them I've tweaked to make healthier and I talk about that in my books I say this is a old family recipe or this is my grandma's recipe but I've done this this and this to it to make it a modern recipe for my generation so I love that I can do that and I always have her blessing although um you know we laugh in this house that she has bread with her butter not the other way around <laughs> she's she's a miracle actually because here she is she'll be 93 this year she has a whiskey every night she <laughs> has plenty of, of butter on everything and her double brie and all the things we're not meant to have but maybe she's testament to the fact that we are meant to have them after all now probably one of the biggest changes in cuisine and food has been the advent of reality tv mm. do you think it's been a good thing I think it's been a great thing because it's really improved our food knowledge. And the other thing I love about it is that people are going into shops now asking for things. I've no doubt that it's changed what you'll find in Woolworths and Coles and Harris Farm and so forth because we're now asking for these things that no one was interested in before. So you can, you know, now go into a supermarket and get fresh turmeric or, you know, beautiful salad greens and things that maybe – you couldn't have before because people have seen them on MasterChef. They're asking for them. It's changing the whole buying landscape of Australia. Are your kids cooking yet? Yeah, my son loves to cook. So being seven, you know, he's right into it and I think he loves that it means he gets a treat. So um, he's actually particularly interested in it. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a another Fulton in the wings there. But um, my two-year-old's still a little bit little. But I always do encourage them into the kitchen. I marvel at the patience of my own mum in having my sister and me in her kitchen because I think I now know how hard that is when you've got your precious ingredients there and you just want to get the job done. They are nothing but a nuisance, right? I mean, you just want them well away. Is The far easier thing would be to turn on a screen and just finish it yourself. But I try and... Uh, embody the patience of the the women before me and 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 cook with them because I know that it is the most valuable gift you can give your child when you send them out into the world once they leave home if they can cook themselves a week worth of meals number one your son's much more likely to snag a girl isn't he Mm. but to be able to cook for yourself I mean my dad always says if you know how to cook you will eat well for the rest of your life and what a gift that is to give your children so you know, I just give him the, the basic jobs. The other thing I try and do is give him a mini version of whatever I'm doing. So if I'm rolling out pastry to make little tarts or something, I'll just give him his, rather than trying to take over what he's doing, I'll just give him his own little rolling pin, his own little bit of pastry and just, you know, knock yourself out, do whatever you like. And that way I'm not trying to be a perfectionist around him and he can just make his own creation. Final question. A lot of people are listening to this uh, podcast as they're preparing dinner. Mm. What's your go-to Friday night dinner? It's been a long week. Mm. Quick, easy, healthy. Uh, Yeah, so what I try and do when I'm organised is to have something on the stove earlier in the day so that I've got a slow cook thing, particularly, you know, in the winter months. That's a really lovely thing. I live in quite a 
cool climate. So when I'm organised, that's what I've done. Um, for Thermomix owners, there's nothing quicker than making up a quick veggie mash. You can put in some pumpkin and zucchini and, 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 and rather than the regular potato mash, you've got a really nice side puree there and give some to baby if you've got the baby in the house. But having a veggie puree and having it on hand in the fridge, if you've got some hot chicken stock, you've got an instant soup. So that's one of my real cheap tips for just having an organized life. Having a veggie puree in the fridge all the time, you can turn it into a soup, you can add a piece of steak to it. It's just an instant meal no matter what you want to do to it. Um, but, you know, usually I try and choose a healthy, lean protein. I actually love to cook chicken thigh fillets, although they've got more fat on them than the breast. They've got twice the iron and twice the zinc, which is just so critical for young children. A lot of iron deficiency, in, even in Australia, in our toddlers. So it's something I'm conscious of. Um, nice veggie puree on the side. I like to have lots of um, establishing a food garden in my in my home at the moment. So it's wonderful to have fresh herbs on hand, fresh salad greens, instant salad. I just love that. Um, but I'm very good at just choosing something from the fridge and turning it into a meal. If you have nothing on hand and you feel like the fridge is empty, you can still usually make an omelette or a frittata. The French have that down pat, a beautiful omelette with some herbs from the garden, little tomato salad. They they know a thing or two, those French, and that's always a meal if if you're really running low. Keats and you're listening to The Organised Family. I love my bento because it has my name on it and there's all different compartments where you can put different foods. I have a twin, Charlie, and she has a bento too. In my bento box, I have pretzels, popcorn, like carrot sticks, um, you can have like different fruits like strawberries, you can have tomatoes, you can have cheese, and you can have loads of different things. <laughs> we love our bento. Love our bento. Get your Stuck On You bento box online at www.stuckonyou.biz. Okay, we have some Facebook questions from Amy Richens. I'm after ideas for my nine-month-olds. I seem to feed her the same thing for lunch every day. My first piece of advice would be just to give her whatever you're eating. So if you're having, you know, a chicken salad with quinoa or, you know, some beetroot dip with some whatever, whatever you're having, so long as it's healthy, if you're having a healthy diet, give her some. By nine months, your baby should be well on the way to trying finger foods and learning to self-feed. In wintertime, soups are fantastic. Uh, I also like to make little meatballs. You can make chicken, zucchini and mince, whatever whatever you've got on hand. And that way it can be finger food for your baby's lunch and then turn into a family meal. Um, basically making things that that you can keep on hand, you know, something like a lovely corn fritter you can have all for breakfast and keep a little bit for her lunch. So something that you can keep on hand and, and that's going to be an interesting uh, finger food experiment for her to learn to self-feed. Question from Danielle Ruzka. Hi, Louise. What's your thoughts on a paleo lifestyle for toddlers? Advantages, disadvantages? Oh, look, in terms of the diets that are out there, uh, I personally don't follow a paleo diet, but 
I think it's probably one of the better ones insofar as you can do it really very healthily. And I think that there's no reason uh, you can't adapt a paleo diet for, for for children if they still can get plenty of protein, they can still have plenty of vegetables. So um, I, I give it a tick if that's what you're into. Um, obviously, there's going to be fewer, if any, grains in your child's diet. So um, you just need to make sure you're still getting sufficient quantity into their diet. But um, everyone's definition of paleo is also slightly different. So whether or not that means they can eat root vegetables like potato and sweet potato, I would say still include that. Um, and then grains that are actually seeds like quinoa, some people still approve of, which I would, again, try and be broad-minded in your approach to paleo. So long as they're getting foods from the food, all the basic food groups and you're checking that they're getting plenty of iron they're fives and twos, they're two serves of fruit, five serves of veggies every day and plenty of iron-rich foods, protein, then, and you know, an egg a day I think is an excellent food, uh, then, then I'd say you've nothing to worry about. Rebecca Amore asks, what are some great nut-free snacks for babies starting daycare? What I love is that basically any recipe that uses nut meal like almond meal in it you can just simply switch out by using ground seeds. So you'll need to check whether there's any seed allergy in your relevant daycare. But if there's not, then um, if you mill pepitas, sunflower seeds, flax seeds and create a seed meal, you can substitute that in any nut recipe. So I make, you know, wonderful apple and cinnamon muffins using a seed mix rather than an almond meal. Um is that's my top tip for nut free and also using a nut, a, like a seed butter instead of a nut butter. So for my son's lunchbox, I'll make him a sandwich that has on it a nut, a seed butter made from those same sorts of seeds, pepitas, sunflower seeds, yeah. sesame seeds, if that's allowed at your school, flax seeds, also known as linseeds. You can mill that into a, into a paste and that is a wonderful peanut butter alternative. Mm. Jolene McKenna asks, what are some recipes that are meat-free but still packed with vitamins? Well, some uh, I know some vegetarian families actually put tofu in their children's smoothies just for that little protein boost. So um, that's that's a popular one. Again, getting back to nuts and seeds, uh, when you're not packing for a play date or a school lunchbox, using nuts in your cooking, wonderful, um, and using... Uh, plenty of eggs as well, making frittatas or I have a zucchini bread that's packed with zucchini, obviously, but also eggs. And that's a wonderful toddler and, you know, baby food as well. Emily Beverly asks, any tips on protein-rich snacks for lunchboxes? Oh, well, that's, you know, getting back to that same thing again. Eggs are, eggs are fantastic. I've also got some carrot quinoa muffins that are in one of my books that I'm hoping we might be able to give away to some of your readers, Rob. Um, and, and so, yeah, using alternative seeds and grains for the, getting that protein density um, is fantastic as well. A hard-boiled egg, something as simple as that. When I, I make my children scrambled eggs or a hard-boiled or a soft-boiled egg every morning and I always throw an extra egg in so that um, I can pack it in my daughter's lunchbox. Uh, it's just the easiest. Keep it simple. We all know how time poor we mums and dads are. Keep it simple. Keep it easy and that way you'll actually stick to it. Louise Keats, thank you for being the very first interviewee on An Organised Family. It's been a privilege. Thanks so much. Thanks for sticking with us. 
You've been listening to The Organised Family, the podcast brought to you by Stuck On You, helping you kickstart a more organised life. Hit us with your thoughts on social media at stuckonyou.com. We're a social bunch. Head on over to Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Twitter to stay in touch. My mum puts name labels on loads of things so I don't lose it, like my school books, on my pencil case, on my pencils, on my all my clothing and even on my fidget spinner. One time I lost my drink bottle at school but, and I had a name label and my friend bought it back for me. I see my name labels and I know it's more. I like stuck on new labels. Order your stuck on new name labels online at www.stuckonyou.biz.